0: Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to Crate 808. And today we have a very special guest on board. He's a chicken hawk hunting for a chicken. It'll get you paranoid when you hear his glock clicking. Hear him growl, grr, owl. He got the night vision like the wise old owl. He's high strung, clicky sprung. Because he doesn't live on the humdrum. This guy is not a kid. He's a veterano. He's down another proud Hispano. Yes, we've got the mighty one-ton champion in the house. It's an honour. To welcome on big Sendog from Cyprus, Hill, how are you doing, man?
1: Yes, brother. Thank you for that wonderful intro, man. I, that's never happened like that before. <laughs> that was really cool,
0: bro. You've been dropping these gems for decades, so I had to just pick up a few and and reflect them back to you, my man. It's so nice to have you on, and I uh, want to go into new album coming out, Back in Black. But before I do, I need to ask you a question. I've asked everyone who comes on Sendog. What's the least hip hop thing you've done in the last twenty four hours?
1: Well, let's see. Uh... This morning, I was power spraying dog poop off my front porch. (laughs) Don't think that has anything to do with hip hop.
0: (laughs) That is one of the best answers I've ever got. That's one of the best answers I've ever got. Send Dog absolutely smashed it. Amazing. I'm sorry you had to do that. But now you're here. You're sitting in with us. We're going to go into the new album. But before I do cypress hills debut 1991 30 years last year first of all congratulations take a second to take that in because that's a huge huge like legacy you've left us um and i just want to tell you if you don't know cypress hill lyrics were huge in like hu- uk playgrounds in the 1990s there were so many white english kids trying to be latino this is the trend you guys set i just wanted to let you know that man
1: that's all you could, you know, hope for. You know, I remember as a, as a youth, when the Beastie Boys came out and and run DMC and all them and how much I liked their style and even tried to imitate what they wore. So I could, I could see that happening. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh man, it was amazing. But um, as we all talk about the album, you've been asked questions about this album and your work generally so much. And I just wanted to ask you a few things I found really interesting, which was like, um, I know how much, how important Muggs is to Cypress Hill, how all of you are, but we hear these stories of Muggs asking you to quit your day job while recording. I was wondering, how did that feel? How confident were you in your own craft and skill in 1991, in 1990? Do
1: you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, when, you know, when that happened, that was before we started recording Mm. and, you know, Muggs had had this vision and he's like, you know, I think, you know, you and B could, you know, are the guys to, you know, to do this, you know, and uh, he talked me into doing that. And, you know, I did it I, at first, you know, of course I went broke and, you know, didn't have, you know, any coin or whatever. But mm. um, in hindsight, I mean, what a visionary to, you know, to see this already, you know, years before it actually came to fruition. And um, and back in those days, I don't know if, if I wasn't really like a a student of the craft. I was more of a student of, I'll wrap here when I can, but in the meantime, I got to, you know, I got to get this money. I got to go to work. Mm. You know what I mean? But he knew what it was going to take. It was going to take, you know, a total commitment type of thing. And, and with me being gone, you know, 10, 12, sometimes, you know, 14 hours of the day, Mm. it it was just like, okay, do you need, you need to come over here and do this with me. This is going to be a better thing for your future. Mm. And, and back in those days, like I told you, like I, um, I wasn't really like a student of hip hop or anything like what like I should have been. Mm. And it's, I felt like, um, why me? <laughs> why did he want me in it?
2: Wow. You know what
1: I mean? But, um, uh, yeah. So I think that I had to become comfortable in my own skin and, and you could kind of see that in the early days. Um, maybe even here too, that I wasn't all the way there at the comfort level that I would be at one day.
0: Mm. But that comfort level was incredible because I remember the boom biddy bye video and you would like pop in and lock in and doing that very send dog moves with the fisherman hat in the video. And I thought you would look so, you were made for this in those videos. I know they're as you got seasoned, but w- when you say that then, that you were a little bit like, you know, you, you weren't, you wasn't sure about it, that maybe even a little bit of imposter syndrome. What was that first piece of validation you got where you realized, actually I am made for this shit. I I should be here.
1: Well, I mean, I think we went, we went through and recorded the whole album. Mm. And then we went to Philadelphia for a couple of weeks to, to just, you know, gel with Joe and, and Joe Nicolo and all those guys and see, you know, what was up. And, uh, while I was there in Philly, they talked us into doing like a Spanglish song. Right. And I had had a verse, like a verse or two that I had written a long time back, not, you know, in the, in the distant past. And, and uh, Mugs was like, dude, do that rap on this. So when I did that song, Latin Lingo, mm. and then we heard the the end product, I was like, dude, I am kind of, I, I think I do belong. I think, I, yeah. you know, it was, it, was, it came yeah. in small increments. It wasn't like all of a sudden, like, I'm here with a Superman cape. <laughs> it was more like, okay. It was just like a confidence booster, you know?
0: Mm. Yo yo yo, just breaking up this episode to tell you all about the Crate 808 Patreon, a place where you can help support the show so we can make you more dope rap chat and to go out there and get some bonus episodes under your belt. And also get involved with the live chats with the Crate 808 crew and guests. Go to crate808.com or go to patreon.com slash crate808. Sign up for as little as buying as lunch every month. You can get two bonus episodes including. including. Including hidden gem album reviews from the golden era of the 90s, and also you get our series focusing on MF Doom and Jay Diller, and also the Wu Tang Chronicles. Once a month, we drop an album review of every single Wu Tang member. We're gonna go through every solo album and then review it for you guys. And right now it's Ghostface. Go in there, get them Ghostface Killer Editions in your catalogue. So get involved, help us grow this show, and yes, big yourselves up, enjoy the rest of the episode. Boom. Oh. that's interesting you say that we hear all these rumors we hear all these reports you know like latin lingo i used to i remember people telling me that wasn't even going to be on the album do you remember why do you remember why that wouldn't be on the album
1: well because it, it wasn't like a complete song i just had like two you know two verses of it mm. and when when joe the butcher heard it he, he fell in love with the style he was like oh we got to do this so like i said it was something that i would do you know when Kid Frost or Mellow Mayonnaise would invite us off stage or whatever, mm. and I would bust those raps. And uh, one day Mugs heard him, and you know, like good producers do, you know, nothing leaves their memory. Yeah. And uh, he just remembered that. Go do that 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 thing that you would do with Frost and Mellow. Do that thing. And then, I only had two verses, so. Mm. Um, b real wrote the third verse, and he also you know did the the hook and link up baby you know that part he did that too so yeah. it wasn't like you know I wrote the whole thing myself, but um mm. that's how it came apart and the only reason that it wouldn't be on the album is because we never talked about it as being a song
0: oh right damn, that's amazing, okay because uh, th- again one of the iconic cuts such such identity in it as well like bang this is who we are uh i was gonna ask you then um we had mugs on the show a few years ago and he told me about you guys performing before you'd like really broken through in front of like 14 people having breakfast and stuff like that uh, Do do you remember those days can you tell me about those days
1: yeah those, back in what he's talking about is when we were on like uh our first tours were promo tours, mm-hmm. promotional tours. And uh, you know, we had uh, there was there was back in those days there was a lot of mom and pop record stores as well as some major ones. Mm. And they would throw uh you know, breakfast events for all the buyers that bought the records, you know, from these people in uh like in Northern California or something, right? So mm. uh one day it was really early, I want to say it was like seven, seven thirty in the morning or something. And, you know, we're scheduled to perform while all these people are eating breakfast. And, uh, and we did. And, you know, I, I didn't have my performing voice be, it was too early in the morning. We started like hell. And I just remember these people are eating pancakes and waffles while we're performing. This is the oddest thing that I'd ever thought I'd do, you know?
0: Hold on, right. I know memory's are bastard. Sometimes you can't remember these things. But do you remember the set list of a 7.30 a.m. Cypress Hill show? Do you remember the set list at all?
1: Um, No, but it probably had, you know, uh, real estate in there. Mm-hmm. Um, How I Could Just Kill a Man. <laughs> at
0: seven in the morning, um, you're singing How I Could Just mm-hmm. Kill a Man.
1: <laughs> yeah, and maybe... Like hand on the palm,
0: yeah. uh,
1: whatever was, you know, we had like a four or five song set in those days mm. that we did no matter where we went. Because most of the time people didn't even want us to perform and we insisted or the other band insisted. And mm. so we had like 10 or 12 minutes every night to perform. So we were, our our show was very short right but it was probably you know four or five songs i just off of that first album
0: amazing i'd love to be a fly on the wall of that breakfast place just incredible um just before we move on to some other stuff like black sunday and, and temples of boom i was going to ask you how i could just kill a man obviously huge huge record like uh, for you personally why do you think that song resonated as much as it did
1: well, I, I think the track that Muggs made for us is Hypnotic. Mm. It, like, catches you in a trance as soon as you, like, get into the song, you know? Mm. And uh, and then when we were talking about people, you know, totally got the wrong idea at first, you know? Because it's not a song about, you know, going out there and, you know, killing for just for fun and mayhem or whatever. It's about protecting your spot and, and what you have, you know what I mean? Mm. And... um. And I, I remember I interviewed with Nas and he told me the first time that he heard how I could just kill a man. His first thought was, could they say that on the radio? <laughs> you know, and I, I've never thought about that. But we were just saying how I could just kill a man. And no, there had never been a song like that. Mm. But I think like the the, the track and, and the vocals and then, you know, the power vocals behind it, mm-hmm. um, it all came in. And lock that as one, you know what I mean. But yeah. I think there's just something hypnotic about that song. And once it starts bouncing, mm. and the song gets to grooving, you know, it's un- it's undeniable. You
0: yeah. know, timeless, man, timeless. And the video, Q tip, cube, oh man, fisherman hats, fisherman hats were huge. Oh, it's brilliant. Um, I was going to go into Black Sunday, but before I do, right, uh, I was going to talk to you you guys. Another th- massive thing you changed was our approaches as a society towards marijuana, weed, uh, you know, smoking generally. I had a few questions here from our patrons on our Patreon. As one guy, uh, Toby Nicholson asked, um, you have just got the perfect soundtrack to blaze in, right? But what do Cypress Hill listen to while lighting up? Which I thought was a good question.
1: Well, well, if we're in the studio trying to record or whatever, you know, we're listening to our own beats, mm. you know. But like, if you're in the car with me one day and we're just hanging out and doing stuff, you know, going places or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, you might get a little bit of everything because, like, you know, I, I listen to hip hop and funk and soul. Mm. Um, I like, uh, I like even the the the, the early. The, when funk was just coming in, mixing with disco, you know, I'm talking about like chic and stuff like that. I have no way, have no way of controlling what genre I play next. I just play what feels good. So any day with me, you we might be listening to the Who or Super Trap or something, and I might follow that up with, you know, Run Me and Aerosmith, Walk This Way, or you know, there's so much, there's been so much music in the world that how could you just like listen to one? Yeah, you know, so. Yeah. and you know, and then I get my I get my you know my heavy my heavy metal thing going where I like to you know jam up to like Pantera and Slayer and Testament and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's always a it's always a musical, a very colorful collage of music you know in my world that I listen to. Because and then I have you know the favorites that I, I I heard my parents playing with Celia Cruz and Tito Puente and all that stuff that mm-hmm. that I grew up on as like a little kid you know. So I still listen to that stuff. So love that. I, I try to keep my, my 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 musical world, you know, very you know, cluttered with different styles.
0: Yeah just like the judgment night soundtrack i remember hearing the judgment night soundtrack and thinking there were so many influences in that and it was just incredible Uh, and just what shout out to that soundtrack and what you guys did you know sonic youth all that stuff pearl jam oh it's amazing and you even opened for nirvana if i remember correctly you even opened for nirvana which was like wow this hip-hop act is doing this it was incredible um i was going to go into black sunday right um Again, over here, I think that was the album that really seeped into, you know, everybody was listening to that, to the pop people, people used to pop, people used to hip hop, people used to rock. You know what I mean? Um, could you tell me, I heard a story that ain't going out like that. You've recorded that and you all did mushrooms and listened back to it. What do you remember, if that mushroom tale is true, what do you remember about that?
1: I just remember uh, we, we got a hold of those shoes and I think it was like, the last day of recording mm. and we, you know, we were proud to get this record done. You know, we have a second album done, you know, a proud moment. And we just started popping in mushrooms, eat them away, whatever. And like after a few people had left, uh, I was like, you play the record again. Let's hear it. And when we heard it, when we heard it under the influence like that, it was like, wow, this record is really good. Goddamn. I'm like, wow. Mm. And, um, And then the next day, when we were sober, uh, I was like, hey, let's listen to that record again. And it was just as good without the mushrooms (laughs) as it was with the mushrooms. So we were like, okay, so we were fooling ourselves. There's some hot stuff on here. Yeah. So yeah, we would do stuff like that.
0: That's awesome, man. That is awesome.
1: Yo, yo, what up? This big Capadon, and you listening to Crate 808 on the gate. Word up, don't hesitate. You know what I'm saying? Cappuccino the Great in your mind state. Straight up and down, Wu-Tang killer bees on a swamp. What up, world? This is her favorite color, BLU, holding it down on Crate808 podcast. Be sure to check us out on Crate808.com. Yeah, what's up? This corrupt young Gotti, Doll Pound, H-R-S-M-N, horse. Now I want to let y'all know one thing: Crate808. What's up, Raz? What's up, Rup? This is Raz Cast representing that H-R-S-M-N, no vowels horseman me. And you are now tuned in the crate eight oh
0: eight. I was going to ask then because when we talk about these albums, and uh, obviously then you go into temples of boom stuff like that. With Cypress, we we on this podcast like to talk about three album runs and how important these pieces of work are. I put Cypress's run right up there, especially the nineties. One of the best runs ever. It's incredible. For you, what do you think made that album run special? And why do you think it impacted globally like it did? Like, uh, you know, w- 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 what what your thoughts?
1: Well, I, we had did like a lot of uh, work leading up to that album release um, with our first album, mm. you know, and and we stopped touring the first record because we had been at it so long, and now it was a successful piece of art, and we had to concentrate on the next album. Mm. and the only reason that happened was because it, it took like eight or nine months for the world to catch up to Cypress Hill while we were out there doing little promo tours and living in a minivan mm. you know and then things happened so the album was there almost you know more than half a year not doing much so when it caught on it caught on later and then we were when I time it was successful you know it was time to do another album mm. so um and when we, when we when we sat down to do that other record, I don't think we, we even had a direction or where we, we were going to go or anything like that. Mm. And I hope I'm not straying away from the question, but um, I just think that, you know, the world was ready for us and they had heard enough off this first album. Mm. And now they wanted to see what we had coming them to this new album because the stuff that we did on that first album was a culmination of three years of work. Yeah. So we had our, we could take our time with that record as opposed to Black Sunday, which we basically got done in a couple months. Um, You know, so it was, people were ready for, to hear what we had come up with. And, you know, we had come up with this insane in the brain song. Mm. And little did we know, we didn't think that was a big song. We thought our big song was going to be, ain't going out like that. Right. Uh, but then, when the label got a hold of us, they were like, "You know, you guys make the songs; we'll pick the songs." Okay,
0: <laughs> right. so
1: they picked it right. They picked "Insane" to be the lead single, mm-hmm. and uh, and we're still singing it today.
0: I know, absolutely. Interesting thing about the "Insane" the break because because it's such a big record. Again, again, like you said, like it was, it was, it kind of permeated the mainstream. For you guys, did you ever feel constrained? by your band and, and and fan expectation, I suppose, whilst you're blowing up. Did you ever feel pressure? Like, Oh God, like, is this what we're expected to be all the time now? I don't know. Where were you with that?
1: I mean, I didn't, maybe DJ Mug did because he was the producer of it all and everything, mm. but I never, I never felt like pressure. Like I refused to let that enter my, my psyche at that point, you know? Mm. And, uh, you know, I just felt like, okay, we're on album number two. Let's see what we do here. You know, we have beaten the odds with the first record. So the second record, you know, we should have, we should have a little bit of pressure off because now we know that we could sell, Mm. you know, and I've always felt confident in my band that whatever product we pull out, you know, people are going to want to, you know, check that out and listen to it or whatever. Mm. But, you know, the only, the only, you know, pressures would come later on during that run but making that album, I felt like we were in
0: a good place. Right. Interesting. That's interesting. Uh, I've got another question here from one of our patrons, Dan Oak. He said, um, "This is I don't know if you ever felt there were people who were maybe biting your style or who were really, really clearly influenced by your sound. But he said, at what point in your rise did you start hearing those kind of soundalikes? Uh, and how did you deal with it when you did hear it?
1: Well, I can honestly tell you that I honestly think when people try to imitate your style, it's you know it's the four the, it's like the like the highest form of, of a compliment you could give somebody mm. you know and and I don't know if there was like outright people trying to do our style outright but I remember um, hearing the the drums for how I could just kill a man word every hip hop record for like two or three years after that mm. you know I was like dude everybody's using this drum pattern that Muggs that Muz used you know what I mean and I remember that had a lasting Effect on me because it made me realize the importance of the song. Yeah, and uh, you know what I mean. And then you know, you you know, you had crews that came out with songs with the same energies, oh, "I Could Just Kill a Man" and stuff like that. But you know, I don't think there was any outright like straight copying of it. I think elements were used to create other hip hop records. Mm. But as far as like somebody straight like you know using our style, you know. Here and there, maybe a piece of that or a piece of this, but, you know, I never thought I heard anything that sounded as unique as us.
0: Mm. But you were unique. I suppose it's really hard to imitate sometimes. You know what I mean? But absolutely, yeah, I I, I get you. I love that. I was going to ask you then a little bit about um, a a thing you said about DJ Muggs. I heard you call him uh, the Jimmy Page of hip-hop at that time. And I was wondering if you could break that down for me, unpack that a little bit for me.
1: Well, (laughs) Mugs had this uh, very unique way of, of, you know, we're talking about working with the SB 1200 and turntables and actual live records and sampling records and this and that, mm-hmm. you know, and he had, he had these ways of comparing us or not comparing us, but saying, we're going to do this the same way that Zeppelin did. Mm. You know what I mean? We, he was always like, you know, looking back on those guys, like Pete Townsend and, Jim Morrison and stuff that those guys did to enhance our records. Mm. You know? And uh I kind of felt like we had like this guru guy in control of making our beats and whatnot. You know what I mean? Mm. So the so that's where the whole Jimmy Page of hip hop came up from. And I remember him being very, very big into like uh he would just listen to, you know, Zeppelin and and the arrangements and you know, what was Jimmy Page was playing on this part. And, and he was very big into like the history of it all. And he knew, you know, Page's kind of like process that he went through. Mm. So that's what all that came from, you know. Mm. And we kind of felt like we're, we're just as strong as any other band, you know, with Mugs right here, because this guy has a different feel, much like Jimmy Page, yeah. you know, a different ear. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's that's what we just started calling him
0: that's amazing, man. That's amazing. Uh, one thing then, before we moved into Back in Black, uh, misconceptions. This is an interesting thing, I think, with Cyprus. People look at you guys in different ways. Do you think there's any common misconceptions of yourself and Cyprus Hill? Or do you do you think there isn't?
1: Um, I think there was a lot of misconception in the early days. Mm. You know, uh, people, you know, I remember we pulled up in... Uh, I think it was like St. Louis, Missouri or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this, you know, Christian group with picket signs, you know, Cypress Hill are evil. And if you listen to Cypress Hill, you're going to go to hell and this and that. Damn. And I'm like, wait a minute, how did how did all this come up? I'm like, wait a minute, okay. I think people just had the wrong idea about marijuana and cannabis altogether right. for the most part at that point. And they thought, you know, that we're out there pushing class A, you know, hardcore narcotics on, on the kids. (laughs) And it wasn't because we had our own beliefs and it was, you know, pretty much marijuana based and, and, uh, and people would call, you know, whatever radio station we were on, curse them out. Like, how dare you have them on there and this and that, you know? And I felt like the misconception was there, you know, people didn't really, weren't really, you know, people weren't really, they were looking at us and judging us without listening to us.
2: Mm.
1: You know, and I'm like, okay, well, first of all, you got to listen to our record and then we'll go from there. And I think that we did a lot to break down a lot of those misconceptions, mm. you know, that, that was out in those days, you know, so I think sticking around long enough, you'll break down a lot of those barriers just by being, by never going away. Um. So that, that was some of the early stuff that we, you know, that, that we faced, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think we ever looked at it as a obstacle or something that's going to get in our way. We mm-hmm. just knew that we were getting people's attention and that was the main thing.
0: Oh, it's big, man. It's big. I love that.
1: Yo, what up, y'all? This is DJ Premier and you're checking out the Crate 808 Podcast. Hey yo, 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 this your boy Foul March. And right now, you are rocking live with the Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, what's up? It's Dell, the funky Homo sapiens, down with hieroglyphics, the funk pimp. Come on here for some good shit.
0: Yes, yes, we are rocking with the best. This is the one and only Just Blaze. Right now, you're checking out the Crate 808 Podcast. This is Open Mike Equal, and you are currently rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, peace and love to this homeboy Sam and you're rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast. It's the place to be. So good for you. Hey, what's happening? This is Trevor Nelson, your R&B ambassador, talking all things R&B and hip-hop on the Crate 808 podcast. Hey, yo, yo, check it out. This is the rapper, Big Pooh, and I need you, 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 and you to make sure you check out this week's episode of the Crate 808 podcast. Tell everybody the rapper says so. So the new album's coming out, 2022, Black Milk one of my favourite producers on top of one of my favourite groups ever. This is a dream in dream for me. (laughs) I was going to ask you, what what Black Milk, what can you find in Black Milk's music that you can't find anywhere else and why did it suit you for this album?
1: Well, mind you, I'm going to tell you that I I had never heard of Black Milk prior to that, Mm -hmm. working with him. And that's not a knock on him, that's more of a knock on me because, you know, I'm not up on my everyday hip-hop artist like I used to be, whatever. Yes. Yeah, so cool. um, but when when uh when I first got to the studio and started listening to the tracks, I was like, man, there's a real easiness about his production. Like, you know, some production, when you first hear it, you kind of like cringe a little bit. Like, I don't know if I like that whatever. But with him, there was just a... Uh, like... You could when you started listening to his music, it was like okay, you just let it play, let, let him, let, you know, listen it out, and and see what happens. It was just like an overall easiness of the the way that he did his tracks, even the way that he talked to us. It was mm. was just like you know, like an easy, you know, smooth character, you know, doesn't get bent out of shape, that kind of that kind of thing. And I like that style, you know, because when I feel that way, that that easy, that comfortable with with somebody. Then I'm okay. Let's hear. Let's hear everything that you got. Yeah. And uh, you know, I don't know if it was that we were going to work with him on the whole album, but that's what it turned into. And that's what I mean. You know, that it was an easy, smooth, you know, transition into doing what we did.
0: Right. Okay. Was there any reason Muggs wasn't helming it as a producer, or or what, what role does he play on the on the new record?
1: Well, uh, um. You know, we did the last record with DJ Mugs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the the record before that, Rise Up, was you know, a bunch of different producers and whatnot. Mm. And I'm not saying that we're never going to work with Mugs again because I believe that we will. Mm. Um, but you know, Mugs did like uh, the first you know eight records or something yeah. with all DJ Mugs, and yeah. at that point, I guess we felt like you know we needed a, a different approach to things or whatever. Mm. And so we we went that way, only you know to come back to Mugs who do elephants on acid, which was a good record. It was brilliant. a great record, brilliant. And um, yeah, and then you know you never know, like maybe next album, you know, we'll, we'll get back with Mugs again, yeah. and and uh, and see where, you know where that where that old familiar road takes us.
0: Yeah, man, I Abs- here for it. Absolutely here for it. Sen, that was amazing. Thank you so much. Before you go, then last piece of great music you heard could you let me know what that is could be old could be new just the last great piece of music you heard
1: the last great piece of music i heard while well, that's a good question oh, wow probably and you're not gonna believe this whatever but there's this uh band in india called bloodywood bloodywood right They're like bollywood bloodywood uh-huh. and i heard them on uh on the serious metal channel and I was like, "Wait a minute! You guys are from India? Don't change it. Let's hear it!" And I was, I was blown away. I was like, the, "The guys could sing, they could do the hardcore metal scream and yell, and all that stuff." And I was, yeah. like, I was really blown away. So I went right on Apple uh, and found the album and downloaded it because I found it that interesting. Um, but you know, easy. with me, you know, you like I told you before, you you know, you get in, you get in hanging with me, we might be listening to any this and that, whatever. that mm-hmm. you know I mean? But the last piece that was like the last thing that I heard that really opened my mind up Mm -hmm. but we we have also finished uh, I know you're talking about Cypress Hill but Mm -hmm. my other band Powerflow just finished another album and I'm really hyped about that oh snap Uh, I think this is a really cool shot and I hope people yeah I hope people really get into it and, and check, us, give us a listen, and and they like it.
0: Love that! Oh, double send, dog, this year, amazing. Love that. Well, send. Good luck with everything. Uh, doors are open anytime you want to come back on talk hip hop. We're here, and uh, man, just good luck and thank you for the music, man. Thank you for all of it.
1: Right on, brother. Thank you for a great interview. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, appreciate you. Big up, bro. All oh, love to the fan. Peace.
1: Yes, man. Big up. <laughs>